Thanks, Brooke. Thanks, Carol. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm going to give you just a moment to, uh, if you like, you can stand and take a stretch. If you need to grab a Bible, go and grab a Bible from the foyer out there because I've left my Bible in my office, so give me a moment. Okay, thanks for that. Um, it'd be good to have open in front of you Galatians, uh, the one we just read. But Galatians chapter 5, we're actually not going to look much at chapter 6 at all in this series. As this is our last little talk in this series. We're going to focus on Galatians 5, 16 to 20, 26. And too, if you're um, uh, with us here for the first time today, my name's Graham, I'm the minister here. Great to have you with us. So open your Bibles up to Galatians 5 and we're going to focus on 16 to 26. Get myself organised here. We're going to have a, a Q and A um, at the end of today as well. So if you've got some questions, you can scribble some things down. The outline is there from your bulletin. You can use that and see how we uh, track how we're going. Uh, I, look, I really hope you've enjoyed the series. Uh, we've been doing this for about last eight weeks. This is our last one. Eight of um, eight talks, eight little studies. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've grown in. in in the spirit of God and understand what it means to um, trusting grace alone in Christ alone through faith alone. Uh, that's probably a, a good way to sum up our series. Uh, next week we start a little short series on um, a few chapters in Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy is all about, well it's really Moses gives this big long sermon or four long sermons. So we're going to pick up on one of those, the first one. So Deuteronomy 4 through to 8 will be the next sort of three or four weeks. Okay, um, now just an apology too. I'm um, this is a, the June long weekend's been a very special weekend for Michelle and I and our family for about thirty years. Um, we go away with some friends, same group of friends we've gone away with for a very long time, uh, and this time, like last the two years ago, because we didn't meet last year because of COVID. Um, we're meeting up at Rathane, those conference centres up on Port Hacking, the YouthWorks ones. So we're meeting one of those. So um, I've come down this morning very early and I'm going to nick off pretty quickly after the service. So if you want to catch me, you've got to be quick. All right? There you go. Um, the, a lot of the guys who, a lot of the families who go away, we're in full-time ministry together and um, uh, it's a very special time for Michelle and I, particularly in us as, uh, as Christians and a really encouraging time for us too. It's also include some very late nights or early mornings as the case may be how about that anyway I'm pumped I hope you are too um let's uh, let's pray together and uh and we'll go through this wonderful part of scripture father we um we thank you for your love for us in the Lord Jesus we thank you that we're saved by grace not by works uh, Lord we pray that we would trust in you for our salvation and not by what we do and in response, Lord, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit and help us to live lives, that, to live the life that you've created us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what does it mean to live the good life? What does it mean to live the good life? Now, one definition of living the good life centres on being in touch with your spiritual side. That's one end of it. At the other end of the spectrum says that living the good life is about uh, material possessions and wealth. People might say that too. Now, on a recent episode of Why Swap USA, now don't tell me you didn't watch it. <laughs> no? Okay. 
Um, anyway, Why Swap USA, gee, I watch some terrible television, don't I? Why Swap USA is about, this is my wife's fault, she's not here, I can blame it all on her. Um, it's about two wives from completely different families, from completely different philosophies on life and family. They swap families. I believe there's a Wife Swap Australia. I didn't get into that. It's not the same as Wife Swap USA. So they, they, they swap around. So the first week the wife has to live by the other wife's rules and the next week the new wife can change anything and everything. Uh, fascinating, inspirational uh, television. Essentially, it's a debate about whose life is better. That's what it's about. Is my life better than yours? And it usually ends up in some sort of confrontation when the families all meet each other at the end. Now, in, in this particular episode I'm thinking of, one wife was from an extremely materialistic family who basically argued that the secret of a good life it was culture, the pursuit of wealth, um, leisure, comfort, luxuries, all that sort of stuff. The other family was labelled a spiritual family and they meditate, they hug trees, they talk to plants and crystals, um, they worship at an altar to some idol, uh, they claimed a connectedness to the natural world. You get the idea. Two very different people, right? Very different families, very different philosophy on what it means to live the good life. Now, for the former, the good life is about experiencing and exploring the material pleasures of this world. Uh, for the latter, the, the good life is about exploring, exploring and experiencing the inter well, their interpretation of the spiritual dimensions of this world. Both claim to live the good life. Both seek contentment, happiness, love, acceptance and so on. So how would you do it? Uh, picture yourself on Wife Swap USA. Um, how would you explain the good life? What does it mean? What, is it, what does it look like, or feel like? How does it work? How would you answer that question? Well, here's where we're going to go this morning. As we focus on Galatians 5, uh, 16 to 26, uh, parts of that are probably very well known to you, includes the fruits of the Spirit, and we'll get to that. Uh, the Bible says that the good life is not about what you do or what you have or what you wear or how you feel, or how connected you are, the good life is about who you are. The good life is about who you are. Now, I'd like us to walk away this morning knowing that the life that is, as Jesus calls it, life to the full, the good life, the life that brings joy, that life that is worthwhile in the most significant ways, the life that we've been created to live, the life that is fulfilling is life with Jesus. It's a pretty simple aim this morning. I want you to walk away remembering that. So this morning, I'd like us to help us understand what, what God says about this good life. I'm going to make two very simple points. Uh, broadly speaking, they follow the structure of the outline, but I've given you more detail on the outline. The first point is that there are two powers at work in, uh, in people's lives, and we'll see what happens to those two powers. And these two powers have different consequences for how, well, in our daily lives. Two powers different consequences. So let's look at this first little heading there in your outline, the two powers, verses 16 to 17. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. 
Galatians 5.16 tells us there are two powers or two natures at work in every Christian. There's the spirit and the sinful nature. Some of our Bibles um, uh, translate the sinful nature as the flesh. Uh, it's just, it's, I'll explain that in a, in a moment. And at any point in our, in our lives, we'll live by one and not gratify the other. The Apostle, of course, encourages the Galatians, this church that Paul writes to, to, to live by the Spirit. The flesh or the sinful nature or the, the, uh, is, that, is that sin-desiring aspect of our, our sinful heart. That's, that's what the flesh is, that's what the sinful nature is. It's us, it's our human nature. Rod used that word before. It's a good word to use. It's the part of us that is not yet renewed by God's Spirit. Now, set against or in contrary to, you see that word in verse 17, the sinful nature is the spirit. There's an inner struggle, a power struggle. I couldn't help but thinking, being reminded of, um, of dinner time with toddlers. I mean, these, if you're a family person, there's that struggle and the struggle is real. Uh, some of you know that too well right now. Before we were Christians, see, our sinful nature was there, ruling alone, unopposed but this then the spirit entered supernaturally when we believed and has begun our, our renewal that is now our new nature uh, and a competition between our old self and the new self ensues and how does this conflict work well it's a battle Paul writes in verse 17 of desires literally it's over desires an over-desire. It's an all-controlling desire or longing. So you see, the, the main issue with our heart is not so much desires for bad things. Oh, that can happen, of course. But the main issue with our hearts is, is and more often than not, is an over-desire for good things. When good things become our gods. Uh, what we worship, what we place above God. In importance. So these sinful over desires can drive and control us. That's what sin does. It creates in us the feeling that we must have this. I've got to do this, or that, or the other. So, but what is it that the Spirit desires then? Well, remember that Jesus, John 16, one of his, the last things Jesus said to his disciples, he talked about the Spirit coming and the role of the Spirit. And what would the Spirit do? The Spirit would glorify me, Jesus says. So what does the Spirit desires, desire? Well, we can put it this way. The, the, sinful, nature do, the sinful nature glories and, and yearns for all kinds of created things, but the Spirit glories and yearns for Jesus. It wants to, the, he, the Spirit, wants to glorify Jesus. The Spirit longs to show us Christ and to conform us to Christ. And ultimately, this is what the follower of Jesus wants too. But let's pick things, pick something up, uh, something else up about how the, the sinful nature works. Sort of jumping back between the two, Paul makes this striking, what we might call parallel, uh, in verse sixteen and verse eighteen. So you see, in verse sixteen, so I say, live by the Spirit, and then in verse eighteen. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. So we are to live by the Spirit and be led by the Spirit in contrast to choosing to gratify the, the sinful nature, the desires of the flesh, 
or be under law. You see, the sinful nature is the power within us which wants us to be our own saviour and lord. That The sinful nature's heart functions under law because it rejects God's free gift of Christ's righteousness. And if you remember the last seven or eight weeks, that's what, that's what the Galatians were struggling with. They wanted to go, they wanted to believe in Jesus plus something else. Jesus plus the law, law keeping, and the, the specifics were circumcision. Jesus plus being circumcised. But that's not, that's, that's, that's living under law. Uh, that's, that's not living under the free gift of Christ's righteousness and salvation. It's trying to do our own thing, trying to save ourselves. So what, what does it look like then? What, 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 is this, uh, what does it look like in daily life when we live by the sinful nature? Well, we see this in verses 19 to 21. I'll just read those verses for you. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's quite a list, isn't it? When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And notice that not all actions and attitudes, uh, well, not, not, not all of them are actions. Do you notice that some of them are attitudes? Just as easily, the, 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 the over-desires can, can be, um, uh, over-desires are the same as actions, see? So verse 19 begins with three acts of the flesh to do with sexuality. Uh, sexual immorality, so that includes adultery, uh, sex outside of marriage, lust. Impurity is the next word. Unnatural sexual practices and relationships. Debauchery, in other words, lewdness, being unrestrained or uncontrolled sexuality. In verse 20, there are two words to do with religion, idolatry and witchcraft. So the two are paired together. So I think Paul's referring to, rather than making a broad... Uh, he's not, I don't think he's... Ref- when in terms of idolatry, I think it's to do with witchcraft and idolatry together, rather than idolatry generally. Uh, in other words, making things into a god, like we can make our career into a god. Certainly that the Bible refers to that but not being a good thing. Um, but here, it's, uh, I think Paul's referring specifically to a specific occult and pagan religious practices. Then in verse 20 and 21 come eight words that describe how sin, the sinful nature destroys relationships. So you can see uh, four are about destructive attitudes, selfish ambition, uh, envy, jealousy and hatred. Four are about results of these attitudes, so discord, being argumentative, seeking to pick fights, that's discord, fits of rage, dissensions or divisions between people, and factions, uh, I suppose more permanent divisions, that's what a faction would be. And finally, there are two words which describe or refer to substance abuse. So drunkenness and orgies. I think orgies here, however, is not in reference to anything sexual. The two words are, are coupled together. And so I think it's more to do with drinking, actually. Uh, over-drinking together. 
And at the end of verse 21, Paul makes Paul has a stark warning for those who live like this. They, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. We need to be very clear here, don't we? Paul's not referring to, or sorry, Paul is referring to habitual practice, uh, habits, rather than infrequent and repeated and often repented of lapses. See what I mean? So for someone who continues to live like this, this is the way they live. They're not struggling with it. Uh, they're indulging in the sinful nature There's, without battling against it. It actually shows that Jesus has not redeemed them and that the Spirit has not renewed them. And notice too about this list that God does not make distinctions uh, like many Christians do, sadly, uh, saying some sins, say immorality and drunkenness, are worse than others or more sinful than, say, jealousy and selfish ambition. There's no distinctions there at all. They're all aspects of a sinful nature working itself out. I think when you look at this list, what do you really see in general, uh, just an overview of it, I think it's a painful list. That's what it is. It's a way of living that hurts. It, at its heart is selfishness and, and heartache. It's a list that describes a life that misses out on God's goodness and, and what God has made us for. Well, in verse 22, have a look at that first word. It's a but. We love seeing a but because it's a contrast. It's what it is. Here's the contrast. Here's what, it li- here's what it's like to be led by the Spirit as opposed to led by the flesh, the sinful nature. To be led by the Spirit is to change and to be changed, to be the people we want to be to grow to be more like Jesus. Friends, here's the good life. Here it is. Here's the good life. The life that God created us to live. Now, why does Paul choose fruit as a metaphor to describe this good life? Well, uh, let's move along here a little bit in my screen. Uh, Well, I think Paul gives... He uses this metaphor of fruit to give us four... Well, there's, Paul tells us four things about how the Spirit works. And I, I think I've got them on the outline. I do too. The first one is that Christian growth is gradual. It's taken me... Well, it's taken, it's taken four years uh, for us to finally get a lemon on our lemon tree. Four years. That's a long time. Uh, when it comes to plant growth, you generally don't see it happening in front of you. I guess if you sat there for long enough... You'd eventually see something, wouldn't you? But you generally don't see it happen in front of you and you can only measure it after a time, say after four years. I finally get a lemon growing. When it comes to growth in the Christian life, we generally only realise until trouble arises or some challenge comes along and we say to ourselves, huh, a couple of years ago, I would never have been so patient or self-controlled in this situation. But here I am now. The fruit of the Spirit has been growing gradually and unnoticed in your life. Second, the the growth of the Spirit's fruit is inevitable. There's a story about a a man, when he died, was buried under a marble slab. And somehow an acorn got got into his grave. And over time, gradually and unnoticed, the acorn grew. And eventually it split open the marble 
such was its power. You see, if you don't know about how things grow, well, you'd bet on the marble, wouldn't you? Ah, thick marble would be fine. But of course, your money should be on the acorn. If someone has the spirit in them, if they are a Christian, they put their trust in the Lord Jesus, the fruit will grow. Whatever a Christian's life is like, the fruit of the spirit will burst through. It's, it's inevitable as we keep trusting in Jesus. I reckon this is encouraging. I reckon it's encouraging, especially as we think about how marble-like our sinful nature is, you know? But it's also challenging because it forces us to ask, if we've been Christians for a while, for a Christian person, is there fruit growing in our life? Third, the fruit of the Spirit has roots. The life comes from the roots in my lemon tree, not the fruit The fruit is only a sign that the tree is alive. You get it? The life produces the fruit, not the other way around. Who's the life in our Christian lives? Well, it's because it's being rooted in the Lord Jesus, our foundation in him, to mix the metaphors a little bit. And finally, Christian growth is symmetrical. In other words, the fruit grow together. You don't get one part of the fruit of the Spirit growing without all parts growing. It's why Paul uses the singular word fruit of the Spirit to describe the whole list of things that grow in a Spirit-filled person. That word fruit is not plural. It's not fruits of the Spirit. It's fruit of the Spirit. It's together growing. So by way of an example, uh, some people seem happy and bubbly. Joy, right? Fruit of the Spirit. And are good at meeting new people. But they're very unreliable. And cannot keep friends, faithfulness. See, that's not real joy then, is it? It's just being an extrovert. How about, um, well, some people seem unflappable and unbothered. Peace, maybe? But they're not kind and gentle. That's not real peace, but it's indifference. (laughs) Um, Maybe even cynicism. It enables you to get through life without always getting hurt but it desensitises you and makes you much less approachable. All right. Well, now let's look a bit closer at these, the, at each aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. If you've got some time, we did a whole series on the fruits of the Spirit a couple, couple years ago. I can't remember which date we did it, actually, but um, you'll find them on the church uh, website. You can listen to them just audio. They're not um, on, um, on video. And welcome if you're watching at home, too. Uh, <laughs> First one, love. Well, actually, just I thought it was, yeah, we're, we're staying at these youth works, um, uh, this youth works conference centre, and so that all the rooms have n- numbers. I'm in number seven, so I'm number six. But a, a friend was telling me who went to a recent Christian camp, and all the rooms are labelled with the fruit of the spirit. A bit of pressure, isn't it? And if you come from the room patience room, I keep your patience that week. You come from self control room, you're not going to lose your temper that week, are you? Anyway, I prefer numbers myself. So, love's the first one. Uh, What's the definition of love? Love is the desire which leads to action for the good of another, even at cost to yourself. Great definition I read. I wish I made it up myself, um, but uh, I remembered from way back when I was 18 or 19. uh, Love is the desire which leads to action for the good of another, even at cost to yourself. That's what love is. It means to serve someone for their good and intrinsic value, not 
for what the person or action brings or makes you feel. See, fake love is where you are attracted to a person and treat them well because of how they make you feel about yourself. That's fake love. What about joy? Joy is a delight in God for who he is and what he's done. The opposite is a hopelessness and despair and its fake version is a happiness based on experienced blessings but not the one blessing you. That's fake joy. Basically happiness based on circumstances. What about peace? Peace is it's a confidence and resting in the wisdom and control of God rather than in your own. It replaces anxiety and worry. Indifference or apathy would be a, a fake version of peace. See? Uh, patience, some translations have forbearance. Uh, patience, facing trouble without blowing up or hitting out. There's patience. Kindness, being able to serve others that, well, being able to serve others makes me vulnerable. That's kindness. Read that during the week. Um, it comes from a deep security. That's where kindness comes from. Security in God, of course. Now, it's fake version. The fake version of kindness is manipulating people, manipulative good deeds, doing good for others so I can congratulate myself, so someone will see me do it. Goodness and kindness are closely related, aren't they? they? We imitate the kindness of God in service, in generosity, in hospitality. Paul later says that believers should do good to all people, this is 6 verse 10, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So we actually have a responsibility, first and foremost, to do good to each other as a church first. doesn't mean we don't do good to others outside of our church community, but our responsibility first and foremost is to do good and be kind to each other. Uh, faithfulness, that's next. Being utterly reliable and true to your word. Uh, the opposite is to be a fair-weather friend. Search that through uh, Proverbs about friendship. It's good reading. Gentleness, what's the opposite of being superior and self-absorbed? It's a, it's a self-forgetfulness. That's what gentleness is. And I reckon gentleness always gentleness should come with a smile too. And finally, self-control. It's in contrast to the works of the sinful nature. Uh, drunkenness, that's, that's um, it's, it's lacking self-control. Those who walk by the Spirit live uh, restrained lives, not uncontrolled. Drunkenness, for example, or, or any sort of drug abuse, for example, that, that's, uh, that's lacking self-control. Puts yourself in a situation where you lack self-control. Essentially, under the power of the sinful nature, we are out of control, but by the Spirit, we live self-controlled lives. Paul finishes in verse 23 by saying, Against such things there is no law. Here's the freedom of the gospel. These things, no law. We're, we're, with, with the gospel, we are free to serve, serving in love. That's the good life. There it is. Just in a couple verses, there's the good life. A life filled with great things, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. They're good things. And that's got to be a whole lot better than a life filled with anger, fits of rage, jealousy, immorality and selfishness. 
But how can the spirit, how can the fruit of the spirit grow and be produced in our lives? Well, Paul gets onto this straight away. And we'll finish up with this, these thoughts. Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You see, the Bible says that the good life is not about what you do or what you have or what you wear or what you feel or how connected you are. It's not about that. The Bible says the good life is centred on who you are. It's about who you belong to, whose team you're on. How do we grow in the fruit of the Spirit? We need to remember that we belong to Jesus Christ. That's who we are. If you're a Christian person, you belong to Jesus. That approval and welcome from the Father through his Son rests not on our character or actions, but on on his. Which means, as we've been talking about the last eight weeks, we are free, forgiven, free to acknowledge where we struggle in our sinful nature, where, where we have given up ground to the flesh. We're free to confess that we have not sought to keep in step with the Spirit. We're free to say, sorry, I've stuffed up and let's go again because we belong to Jesus Christ. And because we belong to Jesus, because of who we are, well, we've crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. That means identification and dismantling of idols. That's what we do. It's about strangling the sin at a motivational level. It's about asking ourselves not just what we do wrong, but why do we do it wrong? Why do I keep wanting this? That's to do with my trust and my insecurity. Why do I keep wanting this thing, for example? See, to crucify the sinful nature means we say, Lord, my heart thinks that I must have this thing, otherwise I have no value. It's a pretend saviour, but to think and feel and live like this is to forget what I mean to you, how you see me in Christ. By your spirit I will reflect on your love for, uh, for in Christ until this thing loses its attractive power in me. By, my, by your spirit, Lord God, we say, I'll reflect on your love for in Christ, until this thing loses its attractive power over me. Well, and finally, we grow in the Spirit by keeping in step with the Spirit. We remember who we are. We've crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. We keep in step with the Spirit. Um, when I was in high school, I was in a cadet band. We all had to do cadets. It was that sort of school. Um, and um, first for the ter- three years I did it, for the first two years I played trumpet. So I played trumpet as a youngster. You don't want to hear me play trumpet now. That's not a good thing. Um, so, but then my final year, because I was sort of big and strong, um, I was given the task of being the bass drummer. And so I had to wear this enormous, on my chest here, enormous big bass drum. It was probably about that wide in diameter. It was very large and, and reasonably heavy. Um, and, but it had a really cool leopard skin. Like, it was awesome. Uh, for a 16-year-old, you know, who doesn't want to wear a leopard skin on a bass drum? Um, anyway, being the bass drummer meant that everyone would walk to your beat. Right? Everyone would walk to your beat. That, and they'd keep in step with you. So for those three years when we marched in the band, um, each year we did the Anzac Day march in, in the city. And one year, of course, that means I was the bass drummer. I reckon I had about four or 500 people walking to my beat. I could have done anything and they would have done this. 
but I kept it nice and easy, you know, like that. Just hitting it like that. Uh, they all walk to my beat in my step. That's the image Paul wants us to see. It's an active and positive process. Keeping in step with the Spirit is active and it's a positive process. Growing in the Word, putting God's Word into practice, making Jesus number one, glorifying Him. My friends, what a privilege it is to have the Spirit lead us, to walk in step with the Spirit. That's the good life. How about we pray and then um, we'll see if anyone's got any questions or comments. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for uh, today. We thank you that this is um, a day that you have made. Lord, we ask that you would help us to remember that we belong to you. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to crucify the sinful nature in us. And pray, we pray, Lord, that they would keep in step with, you, with the Spirit. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We know we don't always get this right. And we mustn't forget, Lord, that we're saved by, by your grace and not by what we do. But, Lord, in response, let us, let us trust you with our whole lives. We pray that you would fill us with your Spirit as we love each other, as we're patient and kind and faithful and gentle. I thank you for your word to us today in Jesus' name. Amen.